morning, everybody. How are you? Good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm feeling good. Thank you, Jim, for asking. Um, I didn't sleep that great last night. I don't, I don't know. It was, it was one of those restless nights. I don't know. Um, but I am, I'm feeling good right now. I'll take a nap later. Anybody Sunday afternoon nap, people? Okay. All right. It's not... It wasn't a majority. I'm surprised. I don't nap a lot. I take 10-minute, 15-minute naps, but a Sunday afternoon is perfect time for that. Okay. Um, first thing that I want to mention this morning is, um, I think, like a quick little word. It, there were, I was feeling something last week when we were up here leading worship, and I processed this with the staff on, uh, on Monday in our staff meeting. I, you know, sometimes we feel like we're hearing something from Jesus, and maybe there's a good opportunity to say it. Sometimes there's just not. I didn't feel like I had a great opportunity last week to, like, jump in and say anything, but I was like, yeah, I'm preaching next week, so I can do what I want. I can say, I can sa- save it for next week. So just, just a quick word uh, that was stirring in me last week as we were worshiping together in song. You know, I firmly believe um, that, there are, that there's really like one reason we get together, um, and it's to encounter Jesus together, okay? And we do that in a lot of ways. We, we sing songs. Uh, we, you know, share smiles. We share stories. We encourage each other. We hear what God is doing at Beloved. We, do all, we, we hear the Word of God preached. We pray together. But all of it, the point is to encounter God. Like, that's why we come together. It's not so that we can check this off our list. Obviously, you guys know this. We've said this before. But it just struck me last week, you know, and Jake has been sharing with the worship team. You know, when we come together, one of the main things we do is we minister to the heart of God. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way. I I know I didn't think about worship like that growing up. I thought, you know, we're just like singing our hearts out and hoping God likes it. But like, we're actually getting to minister to God's heart. Like show, pour out our love to him. And like, can I mean, just imagine when somebody is loving on you, like how you feel. Like we get to do that to the God of the universe. Like, so we get to minister to God and then God, God comes and he meets with us. And he meets with us in all kinds of ways. And I want to share this because I thought, you know, I've been in gatherings where um, I've been in gatherings where I didn't even speak the language that was being spoken in the service. I've been in, in Gelfua's family's church and they were speaking Hmong and I didn't even know what was being said. But somehow God like still has met me in those places. Like it really doesn't matter. It's just the presence of the Lord comes and we get to meet with Jesus. And, and the expression that it takes, whether it's like singing with our, you know, singing our lungs out or um, dancing around or sitting down and being silent and revering the Lord or singing very quietly or praying out of our hearts to what God is doing. The whole point is, and I've, I, I heard this analogy one time, I've shared it before, as, as a worship, in worship, all we're trying to do is set up a Wi-Fi hotspot for people to meet with Jesus. That's the point. So we just set the table for people to meet with Jesus, and we meet with Jesus in all kinds of different ways. Um, and what I would just challenge and encourage us as a body is just come expecting to meet with Jesus every time we get together. You know, you may come from a tradition that's like, we just got to get through the bulletin, and I'm checking off, okay, we got done that song, that song, that song, we got the prayer done. Uh, I, I don't know, like that may be your, your past, but when we come together, it's more about following Jesus. It's more about meeting with him, doing what he wants us to do, uh, ministering to his heart, and communing with him. So I just encourage you, come expectant every time you come to meet with Jesus, and don't think you have to fit into one certain mold of how you respond to Jesus either. Like, we respond to Jesus in all different kinds of ways. All right? We on the same page? 
Cool. All right. I didn't hear much, but I hope we're on the same page. I trust. It's weird. You talk. Some people talk back to the preacher. Some people don't. I, I get it. I'm, I'm a pretty quiet person. So anyway, um, if you feel like talking back, you can talk back and give me feedback um, as much as you want. All right. So we're going to jump into a new series. It's uh, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. You'll find them in the Old Testament. We talked about th- doing this uh, earlier in the year, and then we just decided let's, let's save it for the fall. So we are starting in on Ezra and Nehemiah. Christine, which I'm sorry, Christine usually preaches up here. You'd got a a far better preacher if Christine was here. She's down at Franklin Avenue. So if you want to hear more, listen to the Franklin Avenue podcast later. But her and my job this week is to sort of set the stage for Ezra and Nehemiah. And, and um, we're going to, we're going to give you the context and kind of an overview of the story. And then we're going to have some, uh, I think there's four messages after this, or five, after this in this series to kind of take uh, chunks of Ezra and Nehemiah and break it down for us. And so a uh, little, little Jordan tidbit for you, if you're ever in a Jordan trivia question, Mila's name if she were a boy, might have been Ezra. We were leaning heavily towards Ezra, and we actually didn't find out, you know, if she was a boy or girl until, until she was born. So she could have been an Ezra, okay, but she wasn't. She was a Mila. Um, uh, but, you know, just, just to pass that on, we like the name. It wasn't really because of the guy in, in the Bible. We just thought it was a cool name. Um, but let me tell you a little bit of context here. So Ezra and Nehemiah were actually one scroll. They were one story that Ezra had written, okay, and they were separated out later on, okay? So there's actually like three main characters in, um, that we're going to cover in these books. First one on the scene is Zerubbabel. That wasn't in the running for Mila's name, okay? There's Zerubbabel, and then there's Ezra, and then there's Nehemiah. And Ezra and Nehemiah are kind of contemporaries, so you hear about them in each other's story. Um, And I want to show you where these things fall in the Old Testament. So, Savannah, if you could put that big um, picture up there, that slide. Okay, there's a lot going on here, okay? So you might not be able to even see all this. But if you've ever looked at the Old Testament and thought it, like, went in chronological order— you would be mistaken. So the way that they kind of separated out the books in the Bible were you have all the kind of history books all the way from Genesis up to um, the book of Job and Psalms and Proverbs. All the poetry kind of comes in the middle and then all the prophets come at the end. But in actuality, the prophets are speaking all throughout the history books, okay? So there, so if you see this, you got the early days on the far left. You got Genesis. We know Job was written really early on on, but we don't really know when. Okay, and this is the, the, the time when, you know, God has made this promise. He calls Abraham. He forms a nation from him called Israel. He makes this covenant with Abraham that's going to come in, in handy later because we're going to be talking about the covenant. Okay, and then they go off into slavery in Egypt. And so we read about Exodus and the books that follow, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. All that is taking place as they're leaving slavery in Egypt and wandering in the desert. And then we get to Joshua, 
And the books after Joshua start in on the history of Israel as a nation that has come into the promised land, okay? So they've left slavery, left the wilderness, come into the promised land. And these stories here in First and Second Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, all of these, and, and Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, all of these stories are, are basically, you know, this same idea. The people um, get, you know, they ask for a king, they become wicked, the people fall into idolatry, they oppress the poor. They leave and, and follow other gods. Um, and then all along the way, these prophets are warning them. So you see, you got, you got Jonah, who was actually gone to Nineveh. You got Joel and Amos, Hosea, Micah. All these things happening during these books of the Chronicles and the Kings. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, all these prophets, okay? And, and then, because of the people's wickedness, you see on the bottom there's that black box that says exile. Because of the people's wickedness, the prophets had warned them time and time again, but God brought along the nation of Babylon and took the people away. They, they ransacked Jerusalem and took the people into exile to live in Babylon, okay? And there's still prophets that operate during this time. We have Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, all these guys that are speaking to the people while they are in exile, and the story of Ezra and Nehemiah are actually taking place. Uh, Ezra's in that little orange box and then Nehemiah after him. Um, they're taking place as the people come out of exile back into their home of Jerusalem. And actually, this is kind of like the end of the Old Testament, okay? So even though Ezra and Nehemiah are kind of towards the beginning of the Old Testament, they're actually happening um, just a few hundred years before Jesus would come. So we have Ezra and Nehemiah and the people are back in Jerusalem. There's a few years of silence, and then Jesus comes on the scene. So I want you to know where we are in the story, and I want you to remember that covenant that God made with Abraham. Okay, you can take that off of there because there's too much to look at now. You'll be distracted. You won't hear a word I say, okay? Or maybe not. Maybe you're already done with that picture. You're not a detailed person. You're like, I could care less where it comes in the story. That's all right, too. Okay, so, here, so here's where we are. The people are in exile, okay? That's where we're going to start this morning. And we're going to talk about um, kind of, uh, we're, we're starting with something, that the people are given something to live for in the present, okay? So if you want, if you have your Bibles, we're going we're gonna to be mostly in Jeremiah 31, but we're, but we're going to start just a couple chapters back in Jeremiah 29, okay? So s these scriptures are going to be on the screen. You can pull up your phone, whatever you want to do, however you follow along the best. But, okay, the people are living in Babylon. They're not where they want to be. They're out of their home. They're wondering, how long is this going to last? What are, you know, we've, we've messed up. God's taken us into exile. What now? And this is what uh, the prophet Jeremiah tells the people in Jeremiah chapter 29. This is a word from the Lord that he's giving to the people. Um, he says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. 
he goes on to tell them that it's going to be like 70 years that they're there, so they might as well get used to it, you know? Um, and he gives them something to do while they're there in exile. He says, like it's said up there, he says, build houses, plant gardens. And, and most importantly, uh, you know, growing in number, you know, all that kind of stuff. But most importantly, seek the peace and the prosperity of the place that you are living in. So they have something to live for in the present. And I feel like this is a parallel to even our current situation in life, okay? One of my favorite concepts in the Bible, I got to preach on it once, I wrote it on my arm, I like it so much, is the, is the concept of being sojourners in this world, okay? Like, I, I love that in the Bible we talk about, you, you see times where it talk, calls us exiles, or strangers, or foreigners, or sojourners. We are exiles in this world, this isn't our um, this isn't our forever home. This isn't, we're citizens of heaven, right? That's what Jesus says. So there's these longings in us for something more because this world doesn't have everything that we need in it to satisfy. We need Jesus and his kingdom and the fullness that he offers. So that's where this people is. That's kind of where we are in our lives. Um, they are in exile. So now what comes next is there's this prophecy from God, okay? And there's three main themes in this prophecy, but we're going to turn over to Jeremiah 31, and this, God is giving them, they've got something to live for in the present, but now God is giving them something to look forward to in the future, okay? Um, and um, I thought I changed it to just verse 10 through verse 14. Savannah, did I mess that up? Is there one that starts with, um, hear the word of the Lord, you nations? Did I whiff. I did. Okay, so let's start there, okay? I was going to read more, but we're going to cut it down a little bit uh, this morning. But the three themes here, this prophetic word from Jeremiah, you can read the whole thing later. This prophetic word from Jeremiah is talking about eventually returning to Jerusalem, rebuilding the city, and then this new covenant that God is going to set up, okay? And so here's what I want you to do. Before we read the words on the screen, I want you to put yourself in the place of these people, okay? So imagine Jeremiah is this prophet guy. Everybody knows, like, he hears from God. He prophesied about the exile. Here we are sitting in exile. So now Jeremiah has this other word from the Lord. And he probably writes it down on a scroll, and they probably get some people together, and they're gathered together. So you guys are the people. We're gathered together, and we're hearing this word from Jeremiah. We're living as exiles. Um, we don't want to be here. We're looking forward to the day when this is not our current situation anymore. And here's what Jeremiah says um, is going to happen uh, in, the, in, the, in the future. So Jeremiah, starting in verse, uh, chapter 31, starting in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you nations. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will, will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. For the Lord will deliver Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine, and the olive oil, the young of the flocks and herds. They will be like a well-watered garden, and they will sorrow no more. Then young women will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. I will satisfy the priests with abundance, and my people will be filled with my bounty, declares the Lord. 
Jesus is speaking of this time when they will return and rebuild um, what they once had. There will be bounty again for the people, the priests. If there's priests, that means there's a temple. They will be rebuilding what was um, before in the past. They will be able to return and rebuild that. Look a couple verses later in verses 16 through 17. This is what the Lord says, Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy, so there is hope for your descendants, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. So you guys are in the room, you're hearing this prophecy from the prophet Jeremiah, and what do you think you're feeling? I feel like, you know, there may be a couple like Debbie Downers in the room who are like, how is this going to happen? But I feel like Jeremiah's got a pretty good track record at this point, and so what I'm feeling is the people's hopes are rising right now. I feel like there's joy in the room, that they're imagining what is going to come, what will be. They're probably thinking about how it used to be, right? Thinking about, oh, I, sharing stories. I remember the temple in all its glory. I remember when this happened. I remember when it was like this, the wall. I remember all of these things. Can I tell you, like, Gelfu and I have been here now for 15 years, and one of the first things we learned about uh, Aliquippa, where we call home, is how awesome it used to be, okay? We were, we were, you know, just a few feet into to life here in Aliquippa, and it was like, you used to be able to get everything you wanted on Franklin Avenue. There was no need to go to Pittsburgh, right? Anybody heard these stories? There was theater, there was bowling alleys, you could get your shoes, you could get your suit, your dresses. Why would you need to go anywhere else? It was all right down there on Franklin Avenue, okay? And I can remember hearing the grief, the lament for what was and how it is now. And, and almost like, you know, those days, Aliquippa's best days are behind us. It's never going to be like that again. That's something like we've, we've uh, tried to protest and speak against, you know, like that actually God's glory is greater than even the glory that, you know, maybe we once knew in the city of Aliquippa and that its best days are not behind us. But can you just imagine this group of people here? You guys, you guys, a lot of you are from Western PA. So you, whether it's Aliquippa, or another place, you know these stories of how it used to be and how the mill was and everybody had a job. These people were in that place thinking of how it used to be. How are we going to see those things come about again? <clears throat> and then we get just a few verses later uh, in verse 31, chapter 31, verse 31. And the prophet says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Remember the old covenant, okay? So now we're going to make a new covenant, God says. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach my, no longer will they teach my neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So look at this new covenant. Go back one slide, Savannah. Look at this new covenant. Where is God going to write his law? Somebody tell me. 
on their minds and on their hearts. Okay, where did he write it the first time? On stone tablets, right? The Ten Commandments. You guys seen the movie, okay? They come down. <laughs> Charlton Heston comes down from the mountain with the tablets. All right, so he wrote it on stone before, but now this new covenant, he's going to write it on their hearts, and they will all know me, it says, okay? So can you feel the relief in the room? Like, they have screwed up so many times. They have messed this thing up. Every time God gave them a chance, they messed up. There must be like shame and guilt that they live with. They're now in an exile in another country because of their disobedience. But God is still going to give them another chance. He's going to give them a new covenant that sounds like it relies on them a little bit less. Like, it's like God's going to come through on the covenant. He's going to write these things on their hearts. I can feel the relief in the room um, and the shame falling off of people. All right, so this is all, this is all the lead up, all right? So we, we have the people in exile. They receive this prophecy from the Lord. And what we're going to be going into now in Ezra and Nehemiah, as you hear these other sermons, we're going to talk about what happens, okay? So what happens when the people come back from exile? Now, I don't want to step on all the sermon's toes, okay? So I'm going to let them unpack these things, but I want to give you a little foreshadowing. So here's what happened. They went back, and there were some, there were some good things, but... Overall, it was just kind of like, okay. It wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. It was like, it was like this prophecy was amazing. It was so grand, but their experience was not that grand. There was, there was kind of this partial fulfillment. Something wasn't quite right. We're going to look at the leaders of Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, and most of the time when we focus on Ezra and Nehemiah in, in church and in sermons, we talk about these lessons of leadership that we can learn from these guys. And yeah, there are some, there are some good things that they did. But what you're going to see in the coming weeks is that everything still kind of fell short. It kind of landed flat. Like they rebuilt the temple, but it was kind of like, ah, oh, it's not as great as the old temple. Like, they rebuilt the wall, but it just wasn't all that they had hoped that it would be. Um, and the revival that was supposed to take place, it was okay, but then the people just kind of walked and did their own thing. And, and, and here's the deal. In this whole scenario, the people of Israel kept putting their hope in this leader or in that leader or this thing uh, or that thing, but all of it kind of falls short. Now, I don't know, were there any psychology counseling majors out there in college? Okay, Sage, all right. Oh, Julie, I didn't know that about you. Okay, so, so I, I, didn't, I didn't love my psychology courses, but I had to take like intro to psychology, right? So I remember one thing from intro to psychology, Dr. Kozer, I think was his name, okay? So he said, he drew this up on the board. When your expectations are like here and your lived experience is like here, then this whole area is full. The, all this area of unmet, unmet expectations is full of like disappointment, sadness, maybe anger, resentment, all this, all this kind of stuff because you didn't, because things didn't live up to what you were hoping them to live up to. 
Okay? So enter the people of, of Israel. They've come out of exile with these like really grandiose visions and prophecy and it's going to be awesome. And Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah, they're going to lead us to this like, we're going to get back to the former days of glory. And yet their experience, um, what, there was just shortcoming. It, it, just, it just fell short. And so here I want to tell you just, uh, uh, you may have heard this verse from scripture before, Proverbs 13, 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, okay? So that hope that doesn't get realized, that expectation that doesn't get met, it makes us a little bit heart sick. And here's the deal about prophecy, okay? We talk about prophecy a lot here at the Gospel Tab because we believe prophecy is just telling the word of the Lord to the people, okay? So God can give us a message for the people, um, and if we tell that to the people, that's prophecy, okay? But oftentimes we think, and that's called forth-telling, okay? You're, you're telling what God has said. But, but in the Bible, um, there is forth-telling. There's also foretelling, and this is another element of prophecy, okay? It, prophecy can also be like looking towards the future. And here, this prophecy from Jeremiah is doing just that. It's looking forward to the future and foretelling what God is going to do among his people. But here's the deal. Sometimes, a lot of times with prophecy, there's initial fulfillment and then there's complete fulfillment. So think of this as like two mountains, okay? You got one mountain here and one mountain here, initial and complete, and the people of Israel are over here. They're in this valley, and all they can see is the first mountain, okay? So they see that initial fulfillment. They've returned to Jerusalem. They've rebuilt some of the stuff. Um, it's going okay, but what they can't see is that there is still complete fulfillment yet on the horizon, okay? And we live in this place where we actually get to live between the mountains. We get to see what God did among the people of Israel way back in the day, but then we also get to see what God did through the person of Jesus, okay? And here's the deal. Jesus is the complete fulfillment of the prophecy. Jesus and his kingdom coming to earth is the culmination of of every prophecy that there is in Scripture. So while the people may experience some degree of, oh, I think this is what Jesus was talking about, or sorry, I think this is what the prophet Jeremiah was talking about, we've, we've realized some of this, they still, they still needed Jesus to come. They needed Jesus to come and write these things on their hearts. They needed Jesus to fill them with his Holy Spirit. They needed his kingdom to come to earth so that they could actually receive the whole fulfillment of the prophecy. And actually, if you paid attention to those words about the new covenant, like, I don't know about you, but it doesn't feel like everybody knows God yet. Like, that's not the status of either the people of Israel or the church. And the ultimate fulfillment that we look forward to is one day when God's new heaven and new earth come down and we live in a brand new kingdom and a brand new world. That is the ultimate fulfillment of all of that. So, so here's where... Here's where I want to draw some parallels and some thinking about what is this story about this people way back in the day mean for us, okay? So here's where we find ourselves in the story. We, like the people of Israel, you could, you could consider us as a people in exile, okay? We're living as sojourners in this world. I've already said that. We're looking forward to our heavenly home. And as we journey with Jesus, as we seek to follow him, 
We receive these words from him. We were singing about this. We receive these promises from God. Maybe he puts a dream on our heart. Just like Connie, I loved your story. He put a dream on Connie's heart, okay? Maybe it's a calling. Maybe it's like a new job or a new relationship or a new season or even a new leader. We're going to talk about like what this could look like. But he puts this hope in our heart. And we have this hope in what God is going to do in our lives. But if our hope lies in something that's coming from our earthly experience, here's the deal. It's always going to fall short. It's always going to come up lacking. Like, beloved can't satisfy every desire in Connie's heart. The lab can't satisfy every desire in my heart. Because every desire and every, every need is satisfied in Jesus. So, you've, you've, got a, you've got a preview up there already, so you've probably already read it. But the main point this morning is that Jesus and his kingdom is the ultimate fulfillment of every prophecy and every desire. Because Jesus and his kingdom doesn't fall short. He's not like the leaders that we're going to read about in Ezra and Nehemiah, where it was like, yeah, you know, there were some good things about these guys. Um, but then, like, there was also these kind of, like, bummers of a story ending, like, with each of them, okay? It's not like that. Jesus doesn't disappoint. There's no, like, well, he was pretty good, but, you know, I'm still kind of waiting for the, the next thing. Um, it's because Jesus is the only one that truly satisfies. And, and I want to share, like, what this means, um, what this means in my life. Um, and I'm gonna, I want to wrap up with like two applications of this, okay? So, um, so, you know, in, in, uh, in my work at the lab, I love it. I really think like this is something God has called me to, prepared me for. Um, it really feels like it's a really fulfilling thing. Um, but there's one thing I'm still, like, learning. Uh, I've, I've talked to a few of you about it. I'm like, I'm, like, learning how to raise money for a nonprofit. I never did that before, okay? That's, like, a new thing. Like, you got to write grants, and you got to ask people for money. George Steffi said um, that my ministry is to get money from people because they need to give it away because they have too much. So that's a way to look at it, right? So, so I have a ministry of trying to get money from people because they don't need it anyway. So, but I'm, I'm learning how to do that. I'm learning how this works. Um, and so this has become like a thing that I keep like, I have like intentionally been seeking the Lord. Lord, like lead me in this, like grow me in this. Like you have to, you know, provide for this thing. I feel like I've received, okay, so like I'm the people in, in, in exile. I feel like God is, has like said, I'm going to fund like what I'm doing. Like, don't worry. Like, don't do this like in all this anxiety because I'm going to come through. Um, and so like, I, I feel like I have this word from the Lord and I'm following. Jesus, but I'm intentionally seeking him. And here's the deal. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Okay. So I'm like, I, I'm, I'm, um, my, my gift is like a teaching gift. So I'm not like the rah, rah, re cheerleader, but I want to try to explain this to you the way that makes sense to me. So hopefully I connect all the dots here. My hope at the lab in this season is not in the provision. Okay. My hope is in the provider. And it's so easy to get those two things mixed up. Um, it's really easy to like mix up Jesus for the gift of his provision. Um, and because what will happen is, if all I seek after is the provision, 
then all I'm trying to do is build my own little nonprofit story. I'm trying to build my own, like, this is how it happened. This is, this is how I made it work. This is how we built the lab. This is how all of this um, has come about. And yeah, God did this and God did that. But here's the deal. If, if I'm seeking the provider, then God can do whatever he wants. He can do, he could totally scrap that idea and change my course and do something different with my life. He could totally provide and do things the way that we're like trying to do them, but I don't have say over that. If like, if my ultimate fulfillment is to run a successful nonprofit and have a lot of people look at me for like how good this has worked, well then like that's going to be a bummer, right? Like, because I'm always going to figure, even if it is successful, I'm going to be like, well, we didn't do this, and we didn't do this, and this didn't happen. Like, my ultimate fulfillment is to give my life to Jesus and let him satisfy all the things that I need. Like, however he chooses to do that. Like, he could do that in a million ways. He could take it away. He could build the thing. But all, in all of it, I would still have Jesus. When the, when the, when it was all left, like, I would have not just the promise of this thing, I would have the promised one. That's what I was saying in worship. Like, we have Jesus right now. We don't have to wait for this thing that is coming. And I think a lot of times we get mixed up in thinking that we're waiting for that thing to come. I, you know, like, you, there, there can be good and bad. I want to not, like, step on toes here, but we can talk about seasons. Like, I'm just in this really bad season right now, and I'm just waiting for that next season. Here's the deal. You don't have to wait for the next season to be able to experience Jesus. Maybe Jesus is going to bring you into a new season, but you can experience everything that he has for you right now, the promised one. And maybe there's a reason this season is so crappy because he's trying to build something in you so you can handle the next one, okay? So I think we get wrapped up in, man, if it was just like this, or if it was like God has said he's going to do this, and I just can't wait until he does that thing. Well, yes, we should be looking forward and remembering the promises of the Lord, but we don't have to wait to experience everything that Jesus has for us now. And I think that's, that's like my personal example this morning, but I think there's a word also for our body right now. So like we're in this transition time with leadership, um, and here's the deal. We're going to learn from the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah. We cannot put our faith or all of our hopes into any earthly leader or system because they're, they're going to let us down, all right? We can't sit here and say, well, now, you know, Joel's gone and he was the apostle, so we've just got to go out and find the next Joel and we've got to get the right, uh, you know, just the perfect leader because otherwise we're not going to get back to how it used to be or what it was like. It's, it, it's, that's not the point, okay? Jesus is the head of his church. Jesus fills everything, all in all. And you, you've heard this verse before, Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And then in Ephesians chapter 1, if you could put the next one up, Savannah, it says this about Jesus and the church. God placed all things under his, Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So we can't sit here in this time of transition and say, 
you know, we're going to put our hopes in, like, finding the right leader. Or we're even, you know, we, we unpacked the engagement pathway last week. You know, the engagement pathway is just a tool for Jesus to use. We're not putting our hope in a system. Our hope is that Jesus would come and lead his church, that he would fill everything in every way. And he is the fulfillment of every hope. He's the one we're looking forward to. He's the one that fulfills our desires, that fulfills every prophecy. And I think the word this morning is simple. I don't know what this means for you personally, um, but let, let Jesus build the thing. Let Jesus be the fulfillment of the desires and the needs that you have. Let Jesus be the one who comes through for you in whatever way he has. Like, it could be totally different than what you had imagined it being. Um, but if you're going after Jesus, then you're not going to be disappointed. Um, and if we as a body are going after Jesus... Like there's, like what Brandy said last week, what, you heard Steve's word and you heard Brandy's like benediction at the end. Like if we're chasing after Jesus, like what does it say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and he'll work out all the details. All these things will be added unto you. He'll figure out the pieces. He'll figure out like how it works together. Um, and we're, we're in good hands, right? With Allstate. I'm just kidding. With Jesus. We're in good hands with Jesus. So I don't know who's closing, um, but that's all I got.